You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. This is the fundamentals of Sukkot. Why do we have this holiday in the first place? That's the question I want us to think about. Why do we have this holiday in the first place? It's very strange. Have you ever, did any of you ever see the show 30 Rock with Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin? Great show. You can get it on Netflix, I think. So um, there's this one episode where uh, Alec Baldwin, who's like the chairman of NBC, is negotiating the contract with a Jewish cast member of a Saturday Night Live type show. And his uh, argument in the contract negotiation, his position in the contract negotiation, the cast member wants all Jewish holidays off, even though he's not a a particularly observant Jew. And Alec Baldwin's uh, response position was, you only get one holiday off of our choosing. What's the made up one with the booths? Sukkot. Yeah, you get that one, right? That's the one you get, right? So is Sukkot a made-up holiday with booths just because we like being outside and we like being in the, in the shade and shelter? What is it meant to accomplish? And if you think about the holidays in Jewish history, especially the pilgrimage festivals corresponding to pivotal moments in Jewish history, you of course go back and think of Pesach, Passover, right? Which corresponds to what pivotal event, pivotal moment in Jewish history? The Exodus from Egypt, very good. And then Pesach is followed by Shavuot. Now Shavuot's an interesting one because according to the Torah, it doesn't seem to correspond, or at least it's not articulated as corresponding to a pivotal moment in Jewish history, but the rabbis kind of do their math and calculations, and they say that Shavuot corresponds to what pivotal moment in Jewish history? Mount Sinai, getting the Torah on Mount Sinai, right? So we call Shavuot Zman Matan Toratenu. So we know from the taglines of those holidays, we have Pesach, which is Zman Cherutenu, the time of our freedom, the time of our liberation. We have Shavuot, which is Zman Matan Toratenu, the time of the giving of our Torah. And we have Sukkot, which is Zman Simchatenu, the time of our joy. What? Happy time. Happy time, right? It doesn't seem to correspond to a historical event. It's strange in the trajectory of the Jewish calendar. The Torah itself does link it to some manner of historical event. And this is the essence that I want us to get to today. So when the Torah talks about Sukkot, it says, you could see on your source sheet, Basukot teishvu shivat yamim, koha ezrach b'israel yeshvu basukot. You shall dwell in Sukkot seven days. All citizens in Israel shall dwell in Sukkot in order that future generations may know that I made the Israelite people dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I, the Lord, am your God. So, according to the Torah, why do we observe Sukkot and dwell in Sukkot for seven days? Good, okay. So, it's connected in some way to the Exodus, right? We left Egypt, and we 
went into the wilderness and we dwelled in Sukkot during our sojourn in the wilderness. And that's why we observe the holiday. So it has a connection, according to the Torah, to the historical narrative, the trajectory of the Jewish people from enslavement to liberation to, redempt, to, to revelation and ultimately to, uh, to the promised land. It's part of that historical trajectory, although it's strange because the Torah, except for this commandment to dwell in Sukkot, never talks about the Israelites dwelling in Sukkot when they left Egypt. Okay, so it's linked to a historical memory that the Torah in no other place talks about. Talks about the Exodus, plenty. Talks about the receiving of the Torah, plenty. Okay, so maybe it refers to the conditions of the wilderness, but if that's what it's referring to, then it's a strange commandment because the conditions of the wilderness, it should say you should sleep outside in no shelter for seven days because we were living in the wilderness. Or you you should eat twigs and berries for seven days because we dwelled in the wilderness. Or you should go to the desert for seven days because we dwelled in the wilderness, right? It doesn't have us do any of that. It has us dwell in Sukkot, which are actually temporary structures, which are probably not what the Israelites lived in when they were in the wilderness. They probably lived in tents of some sort, right? Which is specifically what we're not supposed to make on Sukkot. We're not supposed to make tents. We had to make structures with roofs. And roofs without particularly good shelter. You would think in the wilderness that they would have probably put up better shelters than Sukkot uh, when, when they were in the sojourn there. So if that's what it's linking to, it's a very strange commandment. And... It's additionally strange because the Torah doesn't really talk at all about the living conditions of the Israelites uh, in the wilderness after they leave Egypt, and certainly doesn't say that they live in Sukkot. Yeah. Ah, okay. So that's a very good point. And some of the commentators say, why is it that we have a holiday celebrating how or commemorating how they lived in the wilderness, what kind of structures they lived in? which may or may not be related to a miracle that we'll see in a second, but they, we don't have a holiday that celebrates the fact that we um, were miraculously given water in the wilderness and miraculously given food in the wilderness, the manna. Okay, it's a good question. So that's, that question piggybacks on what Rashi says. So Rashi says in text number two, I made the Israelite people dwell in Sukkot. This refers to the clouds of glory. According to tradition, you can see in the Midrash in the next uh, uh, passage that I have there, number three, the verse means to say that there were seven clouds, four on each of their four sides, one above, one below, and one that went before them. So when Rashi refers to something called the clouds of glory, the Ananeha Kavod, according to the rabbis, miraculously, during the sojourn in the wilderness, the Israelites were carried around in a kind of a cloud box, which protected them and encircled them and encompassed them throughout their sojourn so that nothing could hurt them, so that nothing could impact them. And in fact, if you recall, on uh, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, I referred to the story of Amalek attacking Israel. And according to the commentators, the only people who were able to be attacked by Amalek were the, those Israelites who for various reasons were left outside of the clouds of glory. Because so long as the people were inside the clouds of glory, they were totally protected and totally uh, encircled by God's presence. And so therefore, according to Rashi, 
What we commemorate on Sukkot is that miracle of the wilderness that God's presence encircled and surrounded us and protected us throughout our sojourn in the wilderness. So when we build Sukkot, I keep on pointing over there to the sukkah, but I mean over there. When we build Sukkot on on the holiday, it's meant to symbolize God's encircling protection over us. We go outside specifically to build these structures to symbolize God's presence surrounding us in our lives today as God's presence surrounded our ancestors in the wilderness, which we can't do indoors because we're, you know, you have to do something specific, something conscious, something deliberate to kind of make that mental shift. However, as Gary mentioned, if that's what this holiday is commemorating, why do we only commemorate that miracle of the wilderness and not the other miracles of the wilderness? The manna, the water, etc. So I actually think that this, that the clouds of glory is not what Sukkot was originally meant to uh, celebrate. I think it's something deeper and more elemental than that. So let's go on a little bit more. In the Talmud, there's a debate between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer said that I made the Israelite people dwell in Sukkot refers to the clouds of glory. Rabbi Akiva says God made actual booths for them. So here we have a debate between two great scholars of the Mishnah. One uh, says that there is a uh, sort of miraculous divine protection happening in the wilderness. That's Rabbi Eliezer. And Rabbi Akiva says there may have been a miracle, but it was much more uh, natural in focus. Right, that God helped them make structures to protect them in the wilderness, that they actually did live in Sukkot in the wilderness, which makes the fact that we build these huts as they are. We could say, uh, go outside and, uh, and uh, um, build a structure that is uh, made of water vapor or something. I don't know how you would do that, but right, uh, and that would uh, symbolize the clouds of glory. But instead, we build these structures made out of wood and twigs and things like that, doesn't really make sense. So that coincides with what Rabbi Akiva saying, God actually made us actual Sukkot in the wilderness, and that's what we dwelled in, so that's why we build Sukkot. So according to later Jewish law, the Aruch HaShulchan is 19th century Russia, says, we certainly hold by Rabbi Eliezer because it is fitting to make a remembrance for something great like this that God encircled them in the clouds of glory. Okay, so according to the Aruch HaShulchan and later Jewish law, we follow the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, which is what's picked up by Rashi, that we celebrate this great miracle of God's presence um, encircling and protecting the Israelites when they're in the wilderness. But I don't think that that's what's happening. So the term Sukkot appears only in the Torah in in one other kind of context, which is the name of a place. The name of a place. Sukkot in the Torah doesn't refer to a kind of structure. It refers to a city, a location. So you see in Exodus 12, right after the Israelites leave Egypt, the first place they go to, V'yis'u b'nei Yisrael me'ra'amseis Sukkota, k'sheish me'ot elef raglei ha'gvarim levad mitaf. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. 
the first place that the Israelites go after the Exodus, after they leave the borders of Egypt, is a place called Sukkot. And if you wanted to, you could look at your map here uh, that you have on your second page, and you can see where Ramses is toward the left hand, top left-hand side of the page, and you could see where Sukkot is. You guys see where I'm looking at? It's a small print, I understand. Um, this is the best I could do on uh, one sheet of paper. Um, but they go from Ramses to Sukkot. That's their first stop. So my theory is that when Leviticus says you should build Sukkot and dwell in them for seven days because I caused the Israelites to dwell in Sukkot when I took them out of Egypt. It's not referring to a kind of structure that God put us in or kept us in as we left Egypt. It's referring to the place we went to after we left Egypt. Now, why is that significant? That's what I want to think about. So Exodus 13, you see that as they leave Sukkot, they encamp at Etam at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to guide them along the way, in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel day and night. There you get the clouds of glory again, so there may be a connection there. So they travel from Ramses to Sukkot and then to the edge of the wilderness. But we read just a little bit further on. In Exodus, that God decides not to take them on the direct route from Egypt to the land of Israel, which should have only been a few days' journey. God deliberately took the Israelites in a backhanded way. You could see on your map, God could have easily taken them from Sukkot straight forward into the land of Canaan. Just walk through the wilderness there, go or go the way of the land of the Philistines and walk along the coastal route. God could have brought them into Israel in a few days, but that's not what God does. According to the Torah, God doesn't do that. Anybody remember why? Sorry, say that a little bit louder. Ah, okay, so actually the new generation thing doesn't happen until a little bit later after the sin of the spies. According to the Torah, God takes them on the longer route because God was afraid that a band of liberated slaves, when they saw war right away, they would lose heart and want to return home and not be able to conquer the land. They did eventually, God's so right, so it goes, goes to show you, not even God can see the future. Um, but we read in the Midrash something, I think, magnificent. And this, I think, is at the core of what we're trying to get at on Sukkot. So the Midrash says this. God did not bring them to the land of Israel the easy way, but through the wilderness. God said, if I bring Israel now to the land, everyone would immediately take hold of his field or his vineyard, and they would refrain from following the Torah. Rather, I will cause them to circle around the wilderness for 40 years so that they will eat manna and drink from the wells of water and the Torah will become part of their body. According to the Midrash, God takes the Israelites on the long way to Israel for a couple of reasons. Because 
we appreciate the value of things in our lives when they are hard won. And we tend to lose perspective and take things for granted and become entitled and become obstinate when we are able to have things the easy way. We may think that the wilderness was not fair of God and that the wildernesses in our lives are unpleasant and harmful and painful and sometimes tragic. But what God teaches through the Torah and Midrash is that the only way to avoid wildernesses is to give up the deep love and faith and victory that's possible only through challenge and hard work. Only through the challenge can you absorb and assimilate the lessons, the hard-learned wisdom of life into the core of your being to be a stronger and better and more powerful and more wise and more faithful and more grateful person down the road. That's what it means when it says that the manna and the, uh, and the wells of water will make, make it as if Torah is becoming part of their body. The challenges in our life, the wildernesses in our life, they make Torah part of our body. And if we skip over those, if we take the shortcuts, if we take the easy way around, we never can accomplish and achieve all that's possible through the challenges and the obstacles and the wildernesses and the hurdles that we have to face in our life. And that is precisely, according to this Midrash, I think, what Sukkot is trying to teach. God says, you should live in Sukkot for seven days because it caused your ancestors to dwell in Sukkot when they left Egypt. And what it means is the place Sukkot, not the structures Sukkot. I caused your ancestors to go through the long way around in the wilderness and that's what you should celebrate. That's what you should commemorate. Because if God brought us to the land right away, we would go to our own fields and our own vineyards and we would refrain from following the Torah. But if we have to earn it, if we have to learn it, if we have to conquer it, then we know more, we live more, we appreciate more, and we yearn more for all that's possible in our lives and in our world. We celebrate Sukkot not because of God's protection, but actually the opposite, because of the challenges that God invites us to go through in our lives, then and now. Rabbi Lawrence Kushner says that you can avoid wildernesses in your life. And indeed, that is your choice. But if you do you'll never be able to know all that is possible and all that you're able to achieve. To quote Rabbi Bruce Springsteen, that feeling of safety you prize, it comes with a hard, hard price. You can't shut out the risk and the pain without losing the love that remains. 
And so on this holiday, we go outside, we breathe the elements, we sit in the cold, sometimes in the rain, to remember that all that's worth achieving in life sometimes comes through the hard prices, the challenges, and the wildernesses. Shabbat Shalom and Moadim Lasimcha.